I'm Rachel Friedman. And I'm Tara Morgan. Here at Steady State Podcast, we are really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. By sharing stories about the humanity of our sport, we're disrupting the narrative about rowing culture and celebrating real life experience from launch to cock seat at every level. If you're a first time listener, welcome. If you're coming back for another episode, thanks for being here. Last time on Steady State Podcast, we met U.S. Rowing DEI Associate Jess Jackson about the steps U.S. Rowing is taking around diversity and equity, including how DEI will be woven throughout the organization's 2023 annual convention. And while we all play a role, Jess is hopeful that today's juniors are leading the way in inspiring change for the future of rowing. If you missed it, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or anywhere you get podcasts. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Concept2, making world-class rowing products since 1976. Find out more at concept2.com. And Live Two Row Studios, live online and in-person indoor rowing classes, training camps, and coaching for every body. Visit www.live2rowstudios.com. On today's show, we're talking with Corinne Wiggins. You might remember that we interviewed her back in early 2021 as part of our episode about the next generation of coxswains. At the time, 17-year-old Corinne was a member of the Atlanta Junior Rowing Association and already had four years of coxing experience. But what really caught our attention was her Instagram account, The Black Coxswain, which she began in an effort to connect athletes of color in the rowing community. Two years later, she's a member of Hobart College Crew and has forged a community of thousands on Instagram, which is growing diversity in our sport. I'm Corinne Wiggins, and you're listening to Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Hello. Wow. Oh. <laughs> hey, guys, what's up? Good morning. Good How morning. Much? How are you? <laughs> good. Cold, but good. Yeah. Oh, New York winters, right? Yeah. First New York winter. I actually wanted to ask you about that because uh, (laughs) I grew up in Tennessee and I went to school in Ithaca, New York. I had my first ever blizzard. My must have been like my junior year. And I watched my car get buried, like completely buried. I was like, what is happening? Like, (laughs) The roads were closed. There was a $500 fine, you know, for being on the roads. And like, oh people were skiing on the hills of Ithaca. It was just. Oh. I don't know if either of you felt like Tara, if you felt this when you were at Ithaca or Corinne, if you felt this, if it's gotten that cold where you are. But I remember cold in Syracuse was literally like when you would breathe and your nostrils would freeze. Like it was so cold, you could kind of feel everything in there freezing. And so that that is my like my personal barometer. It has never been that cold here in DC. So I'm like, it's not that cold. <laughs> oh my gosh. It definitely has not gotten that cold yet. It's gotten like we got a little bit of snow this week and it was definitely a little weird just because I was like, oh my gosh, everything is covered in snow, but everybody's still going to class and life is still going on. Nobody yes. has stopped. <laughs> but it takes uh, a not- lot. It takes a lot to cancel anything in those places. But, you know, unlike Tennessee or Atlanta, um, they have the machinery to deal with it. They have mm-hmm. the expertise to deal with it. In Tennessee and Atlanta, we're just dead in the water. We're like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's like half, half inch of snow. School's canceled. Well, you were on uh, my mind this morning before we got here because I don't know if you know that Tara and I uh, led a steady state Sunday and um, we don't do a lot of coaching per se, but I do some like coxing while I'm rowing. And so I was Mm -hmm. kind of thinking about that and thinking about the calls that I was making. And actually after the fact, I was like, oh my God, this would be so awesome to to get Corinne to cox one of these workouts. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. When you have, when your team does like two K's or big tests and or stuff, do you have to cox them or are you kind of cheering them on and like doing some coxing while you're doing it? I do a little bit of coxing, but it's more towards the end of the pieces. Cause a lot of the guys like to listen to music. If we're doing a piece and I see terrible technique, then I'm going to say something. But for the most part, for short pieces, like two K's or even really six K's, everybody can hold their technique enough. If you just, you know, tell them to sit up or um, maintain their posture. And then the last 500 meters I get involved. Yeah. 
involved. I like that. <laughs> Excuse me, coming in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember doing I remember doing a 2K one time and I was not in the zone. I was not feeling it. And it was just going just downhill. And I just I said to the, the girl that was our coxswain, Alice, I was just like, Alice, I need help. I need help. <laughs> so Corinne, before we get any too deep into this, uh, where are, what college are you at? Tell us your college situation. What year are you right now? So I'm a first year at Hobart and William Smith. I'm on the Hobart men's rowing team up here in Geneva, New York. Nice. Did you, uh, go through a recruitment process for that? Yes. So I was recruited by, uh, coach Paul Bugenhagen. Um, I have an amazing coach. I met him a couple years ago at like an ODPHP camp and then we stayed connected. We stayed connected and yeah, I got recruited to the team. So the last time we talked to you was a couple of years ago. You were, I think in your last year in high school yes. and you at the time were with Atlanta juniors, but you'd already been coxing for like four years, right? Yeah. That was like my fourth or fifth year. One thing that really, really stuck out in our minds, just like how confident you already were as a coxswain so young and how well-spoken you were, we were impressed by what you had learned from your coaches. I think Tara and I come from a place, especially at the master's level, where a lot of coxswains aren't really coached and they're kind of making it up as they went along. So I'm really excited to see where you go here with Hobart. And I can only imagine that they're really lucky to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. A lot yeah. of my, um, I tell this to like everybody I meet when they're like, oh, I think you did good coxing. I'm like, it really was um, amazing having such a good coaching staff at my old program, at least like our head coach and our coxing coach, I would say definitely like pretty much built my like coxing career from the ground up. I owe a lot to them. Nice. And did you start out, remind us, did you start out in rowing as a coxswain or did you start out as a rower? So I did row for like maybe a couple months, but, um, and then I started coxing once I got into high school. And it's been a pretty good fit, very good fit for you, right? Oh yeah. My, it was like 50 girls and no coxswains and they were just, it was like going down the line of everybody on the team to see who would fit in the seat and who could do it. And I remember my coach, I'd gotten off the water. My coach told me I did good because I didn't hit anything. And so they wanted me to keep doing it. Step one, don't hit anything. <laughs> shut, up and, shut up and steer. Yeah, so, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, when I used to teach coxing, I used to teach it that way. Like level one coxing was don't say a word and just steer the boat and don't crash anything. And the coach coxed from the launch. And then level two was you could call drills and steer. And then level three was a really advanced version of coxing where you actually like coach coxing, where you actually like picking up on cues, you were uh, egging on three seat to do what they needed to work on. Like you really had a, a command of the entire boat. Yeah. It gets really fun when you get to that level, I think. Oh yeah. And it, it requires a lot of trust too. It's one of the most unique sports I think in the world where they send out a boat of people in, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of equipment. And they're like, go do well, you know, and there's no like sideline right. or, you know, whistle or anything. Um, I kind of love that. And you seemed at the time when we talked to you very up to that task, like that was something you really thrived on was being given that level of responsibility. Is that still the case there at Hobart? Absolutely. I think um, definitely during my developmental stages, like it took a lot to understand what it meant to have that trust and like the importance of it. Because in the moment, you know, you're getting yelled at by your rowers, you're getting yelled at by other coxswains, you're getting yelled at by the coaches, and you're like, oh my God, why is everybody yelling at me? And you realize, well, you know, I am operating, like you said, thousands of dollars worth of equipment, got almost eight lives on my hands, and they're just trying to get through workouts. But understanding like the importance of that has definitely like stuck with me even here at Hobart. Um, I've got great teammates and I've got a coach that even prior to coming to the school had a lot of trust for me. So that made it easier to kind of like ease into the team and ease into things. But um, just really appreciating that trust as a coxswain is like important to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to have your flavor, you know, you get to have add your flavor to it and add your, your zhuzh or yeah. uh, your signature phrases. And I, we definitely want to hear about some of that. <laughs> um, but first, uh, one of the ways we get to know our guests and have our listeners get to know you and uh, relate to you is to put you in the hot seat for a lightning mm -hmm. round of questions called rapid fire. Are you ready? 
I'm ready. Bell loader four or Cox State? Oh, Cox State. <laughs> Head race or sprint race? Head race. Do you wear a uni suit or a tank and trowel? Uni. Cox box, Cox orb or speed coach? Cox orb and speed coach. <laughs> Favorite thing about coxing? Mm, listening to my coach yell from the launch and seeing the boat pick up as well as me yelling and seeing the boat pick up least favorite thing about coxing mm, honestly sometimes docking <laughs> <laughs> that can be challenging favorite cox command to give um telling everybody to breathe and feeling it in the boat like everybody kind of like loose like relax the shoulders breathe deep breath all that stuff do you drink coffee and if you do before or after practice i drink tea and i drink it at all times of the day before after <laughs> with every meal <laughs> do you ever take anything in the boat with you i bring my water bottle occasionally i'll bring a snack um and then that's i mean my wrenches and tools and stuff like that but that's really it i love yeah. a coxswain who comes with tools God. always <laughs> really i just i can't tell you we were training last summer in the eight and you know something would be loose and i'd be like really really yeah. You're, you're the coxswain. Like, where's your toolkit? Like, you don't even have a wrench? Right. <laughs> no, always got to carry the tools. And I always have, like, a hundred spacers. The guys go through my space. We have this joke that they're eating them because I, I swear I'm just going through spacers like no huh. other. <laughs> but, yeah, losing spacers in the water, you know, do they, you know, do they even try to catch them? Like, well, I've seen people... <laughs> go to great lengths or have they just given up and they're like, Corinne's got a whole bag of <laughs> people. I'm hoping they're catching them. Um, normally I don't even see them drop. I'll just, I remember getting in the, even yesterday, like I got in the boat and one of the guys is like, Oh, like I'm missing like three spacers. I'm like, what do you mean you're missing three? Spacers? Like, where did they go? Like, how does that? And then another person's like, Oh, I need a spacer too. I'm like, where are they guys? I'm out of spacers. Like what? I love like spacers for me will turn up in random places. Like they're always in the bottom of my backpack or like yep. my, training gear whatever just yeah. just in case <laughs> just in case <laughs> who makes spacers i would assume the boat manufacturer i think a I lot think. of boat manufacturers sell spacers like i know on the vespoli website you can buy like packs yeah, and yeah. Sell those. i think active tools sells some too i think most yeah most boat manufacturers sell them is there anything in your coxswain toolkit that just you personally decided that you wanted to have in there, like something different than you would normally find in an average coxswain kit? Well, I think I've pretty much got all the basics, but I hold them in a special way. Like I have, I don't know where my coxswain bag is, but um, I keep like a little, like those teddy bears that have like where you zip them and they've got like a, that's where I keep like all my spacers. And then I keep some of like my bolts and nuts and stuff like that. Is that teddy bear waterproof? <laughs> no, it goes in the washing machine quite frequently because it gets wet. <laughs> kind of love that idea though. That's clever. That's clever. Yeah. I've seen all sorts of different things. One, um, I think there was a club in somewhere in Pennsylvania and mm. they hand out or they create their coxswain kits by putting everything you're going to need in a wide mouth Nalgene bottle. And I kind yeah. of like that because it's self-contained, it's waterproof. It probably clangs around a little bit in the boat, mm -hmm. but, um, do you, and I remember when we talked to you last time, you actually had your cox box there at home and do you have your own personal cox box? I do. I have um, the Cox Orb. Yes. Oh, right, right. Tara, we're just old school. Like for us, we think about <laughs> we have to get up to speed. We have to get ourselves some Cox Orbs. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah, pretty snappy looking. Oh yeah, I love how like small it is. It's just like a little cute little orb. That I love it so much. <laughs> so one thing we always ask is, how is your rowing week going? Anything going on this week or this past week? Well, um, I had my first row in like what feel what felt like uh, freezing temperatures. Um, it was really, really cold. And it was like we've been uh, um, inside a lot just because like it's so cold to the point where it's like I don't know if it'd be effective to go work out in like, you know, 30 degree weather for two hours. Um, but it was like, I think 35 that day, 36. And they were like, oh, my gosh, like beautiful day. Let's go on the water. And it was a little like 
it's shocking and scary for me, but it was, it was fun. Cause I mean, it was nice out. It wasn't like super windy cause we're on a wind protected canal. So, um, so that was nice. It was just in the, all the weeds in the water were sunken to the bottom. So there were no weeds. It was just nice, smooth water, crisp air. I mean, I was freezing after an hour and a half, but it, it was nice to be on the water. Do you have a Mustang suit? We have some in the boathouse and I didn't wear one the other day just because of like the sun was out. And so it was like, not too bad. Yeah, I think I would have been better off with one maybe. Yeah, I would say definitely take advantage. There's no shame at all. Just bundle up, get in there. Totally worth it. Yeah. yeah. Get cozy. Right. So when we t- first talked to you uh, back in 2021, you were in high school, you were Coxie for Atlanta Junior Rowing Association. And we just want to get a quick reminder of how rowing came into your life. So when I first started, I was in middle school and I had joined the team because I had switched schools. So I'm like new place, new, you know, sports. And my family's very big in sports. And so I had already gone through, you know, the long list of basketball, tennis, volleyball, all the other stuff. And nothing really stuck with me. So I joined the rowing team. And in all honesty, it was miserable in middle school. It was just not the most enjoyable thing for me because it was a lot of, you know, working out in a way that was, I wasn't used to it. And it was challenging because I had coaches who were really hard on me. Because where I'm at now, I appreciate it a lot. But I'd started, I was like, oh, this isn't going to work out. I'm probably going to quit. But it's so funny. People like people talk about rowing like it's an addiction because it's like, this is so hard and this is so stressful. But I would like, I can't be without rowing, you know? And so once I started coxing, I grew like an appreciation for just taking charge, taking responsibility. I almost liked the pressure of it all of, you know, you've got to keep the rowers in order. You've got to keep practice going. There's a lot going on at one time, almost like multitasking that it almost like set a goal in my head. It was like, you need to work on this to get here. It's like coxing has its own separate goals from rowing, like rowing, you're working to get faster. Coxing, it's almost like you're working to get better at doing all these different things at one time. Um, I always tell myself, you know, the hard practices make like the good practices even better. And so I just like, I've never wanted to like step away for a long period just because like, it's one of those things where it's like a 24 hour, like you're always thinking about it, even as rowers, I'm sure like you're thinking, okay, like if I eat this today, how's this going to make me feel at this workout? Or if I stretch this way, like it's going to make me feel better for this workout. I think it's the same thing with coxing. Like I find myself in class or like on campus, like, let me do this in the most efficient way I can. Cause of like, just in my head, I'm like at practice, gotta be efficient, gotta be. So I just, rowing is literally turned into life right now. They say sometimes when you're in a collegiate program, uh, you're majoring in rowing and minoring in whatever you're going to school for. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it is. So tell us a little bit about your senior season in high school and the transition into Hobart. So senior season in high school definitely was um, a challenging year, coxing wise. I'm not going to lie. It was very challenging. We had, I think, nine coxins at the time. And I was in the 2V constantly competing for the 1V. Every day at practice was a test. It was a really hard senior year. It was great because I love looking forward to that kind of thing. But the pressure was on, you know, to maintain a seat, but also to be fighting for the next seat. But I I learned to grow love for being in the 2V. Um, I think a lot of people almost like poo-poo the 2V sometimes, but it's honestly one of the best places to be because you're constantly reaching for that next boat. It's like a different kind of fire. But I, I spent my senior year in the 2V, raced at Nats in the 2V, and I I had a great, great time with those guys and that boat. A lot of love for all of those people because I still talk to them today. They were amazing. But then transitioning into college, it was definitely a different group. Like I think the developmental stage, like an age for guys, like it was definitely a, a, a little bit of a jump at first. Um and just meeting new people is always challenging, I think. And um, and like we said, like coxing is all about trust. Like I tell this to the novice coxswains I work with today, like it's all about trust and building that trust and letting them know like they can trust me to steer the boat and get them through this workout in the best and most efficient way possible, which was challenging at first. And it's still sometimes challenging, but um, I do love my teammates and I'm learning to like hang out with them more and be around them more just to like build that bond outside of practice because I think I've gotten to the point where all of them do trust me but I want to be friends with my athletes as well so 
Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Breakwater Realty Group, serving Maine and New Hampshire. Breakwater Realty Group is defined by integrity, service, and expertise. Breakwater challenges you to create a vision for your life and love where you live. Visit the team at breakwaterrealtygroup.com. Breakwater Realty Group, the evolution of your real estate experience starts here. Steady State Podcast is made possible with listener support. Become a patron today for early access to episodes, discounts on SSN swag, and invitations to patron-only events. Find out more about support levels and benefits at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. In two, we're back with Corinne Wiggins. That's one, two. And you just came back from a winter training camp. Can you tell us about that? Where'd you guys go and what'd you do? So we went to Florida for 10 days. And that was one of the hardest training camps I've ever done. And obviously I'm very appreciative for it, but that was like no other experience I've had before. Um, Three practices a day, like 10 days in a row. It was like, you'd wake up at five, you'd be at practice six and you know, you're on the water around seven and then you come back off and you get back on at 8 a.m. And then you go home and eat and then you come back at 3 (laughs) p.m. And wow. so it was a lot, but it was, it was great. Cause I love being on buoyed courses. Cause we're up here on the canal and on the lake, it's not buoyed, um, which is fine. But being on a buoyed course is always nice just to like test my steering, see like, how am I doing with straight lines? Um, but yeah, it was, it was a great experience. It was a lot of training, a lot, a lot, a lot of training. It's, um, it's a different beast as a coxswain. I, you know, for the rowers, it's all physical right? Yeah. And that's exhausting in and of itself. But as a coxswain, like the, your brain just has to be working so much. So much. And so early I was telling people, because <laughs> um, obviously the guys are like, Oh, like, what, what are you complaining about? I'm like, do you know how hard it is to get like your brain, like fully functioning and thinking at five in the morning? Yeah. <laughs> that's, right. that's a challenge. Um, but after, of course, after like five days, you're like, all right, I'm, I've gotten used to this. I know what's up. Is there anything that you picked up during camp that was like a really new idea or new concept that you brought back uh, to campus with you? So I was working with two um, other novice coxswains and I had a lot of talks with my coach about practice management because it's very easy, obviously, to manage your own boat, but managing practice as a whole is different. Over camp, I was learning how to like in the best way because, you know, I think coxswain culture can be like, it can be funny sometimes. Like there's always times where it's like, is this other coxswain yelling at me because they're frustrated or are they trying to help me? So I was trying to find the line of like, I want everybody to do the best and I'm trying to help versus like, I don't want to seem like that coxswain that's just like screaming at everyone. So learning how to like manage practice with um, other coxswains at different levels and be able to help manage other boats as well, I think was a little bit challenging but I learned it and I'm still working on it as I'm here now with them the same coxswains and other coxswains coming to the team and really what you're talking about is is leadership and I mean you hear that across the board people sometimes feel like coxswains are too much too much to handle too loud (laughs) too assertive too aggressive whatever it is and uh we just have to be confident as coxswains that like we are we are asking people to do things for a reason and it's whatever that reason that is, you know, for safety's sake, for efficiency's sake. Um, right. It's an interesting line to ride between um, please do this and I need you to do this. <laughs> right. 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 And definitely- and you, yeah. You said before that you were maybe mentoring some novice coxswains. Are those like walk-ons who might just be interested in coxing and, and what's your role with uh, new coxswains? we were all housing together in Florida. So like we would have a lot of time to talk and like they expressed with me like frustrating moments where it's like, Oh, it feels like the coaches are yelling. feels like the rowers yelling. feels like everybody's just yelling at us, but just like trying to explain to them. Like it's always like easy to feel like everybody's like kind of berating on the coxswains, but we also have to look at it from a rower's perspective because especially like a training camp scene, like that was a big week of just a lot of seat racing. And so it's like, it's important to like them that, we're getting through the workouts in the most efficient way. You know, we're steering in an appropriate way that'll get them down the course the quickest, because I mean, it's like part of their seat race is in our hands. Cause if we can't do the workout right and we can't steer the right way, like that affects their seat race. And so 
it's all about trust and trying to understand. Like, obviously, I don't think rowers should be yelling at anybody, but I'm like, I think we have to look at it from both perspectives and understand, you know, if I was, if my seat was on the line, I'd be a little frustrated too, if my coxswain, you know, got my piece messed up. And so it's just like trying to understand from both sides why, you know, certain things happen or certain things are said. You know, when I used to do, do seat racing as a rower, I remember there was this uh, sort of unspoken rule that actually was spoken at one point where if you're actually seat racing, you don't cox the boat like you normally would a race because you don't want to appear to be giving an unfair advantage. Right. Uh, so if all you're doing is start the piece, steer the boat, and you're not doing your usual, like, you know, queuing and calling and, and, and we got this and all that kind of thing. Is that the case where in your seat racing? So recently, no, we've been coxing the pieces, but I know, um, previously when I was on my high school team and we would do seat racing, it was just like, you'd get in the boat. And if it was like, um, I think for eight seat racing, at least you start the piece, you know, this stroke rate, this split, occasionally like coxswains you know we try and like sneak in like a oh like your four seats up or your three seats up but other than that it wasn't really like we couldn't cox the piece yeah it makes sense it kind of equalizes the playing field then because you yeah. may just subconsciously show bias or show you know right. your, your buddy is in three seat and you want him to win or whatever so one of the things that's really unique about Hobart is that they have a tradition of rowing that goes all the way back to 1860. How does that history play into the culture of the team today? Do they talk about that? Yeah, so the school is very big on like the history of the school and the culture of the school. We have a brand new boathouse now, but it's just important for us to see like where we started and where we are now, because like it's really crazy to think that they were on the other side of the lake where there was no boathouse. They were walking over train tracks like barefoot and walking through the mud with these boats barefoot and just like tossing it in on like this like makeshift dock. And here we are in a two million dollar boathouse now. So like the history is very important. We have alumni visit all the time. The alumni are very, very, very involved. Um, and just hearing all the stories and everything, it's so important and it's so valuable to hear. It makes it, it makes you appreciate it in a different way. So rowing there started in like 1860. And I think like basically across the country, you know, politics and wars kept people off the water for a good chunk of time. But yeah. at Hobart really, it looks like maybe in the 80s, 90s, the rowing program really rebuilt. And there's been a lot of success both there um, regionally, as well as a handful of rowers who've gone on to like the national team and Olympics, which is awesome. Right. Are those some of the folks that are coming back to talk to you all? I think the most recent ones have been the guys that went to the guys and girls that went to Henley um, in like 2017, 2016. But we have all like the plaques and like the oars up of all of like our national team rowers and the Olympic rowers that went here. We have the Henley pictures and all that stuff. So I was thinking about, you know, I was reading like stats from Hobart and yeah. I wanted to ask how the first, what some of the goals that the team is setting for um, the spring season, like when you're going into your competitions, like where do they stack up and who are some of your big rivals? So I think a lot of just the schools in the Northeast here are like our big rivals, like Williams and Tufts, um, Michigan, of course. But I think honestly, because of how new our crew is, we're not like entirely sure of how we stack up against other teams aside from like Charles, but it's like everybody knows 6K and 2K's teams, like it's very different for teams. Um, but like a lot of our top athletes right now are freshmen. So we have kind of like a vague idea of where we stand. And I think our goals obviously are top five or top 10 in the NIRCs. And then we have a lot of races throughout the spring that we're just hoping to, a lot of duels too, which I think will be good. Um, duels are so fun. As a Cox and duels are so fun. But um, yeah, just making those like top placements at these next regattas and events. I think it might be interesting to be a part of such a new, <clears throat> a new and young squad because you get to help build it from the ground up. Definitely. And it's, it's, it was something my coach talked to me about. He was like, you know, like, it's a big deal, like being a part of something new. Like you said, you're building it from the ground, like you're watching it, you know? So it's cool. Keeping everybody healthy and keeping everybody motivated, you know, yeah. is going to be pretty critical. And when you get into the weight room and get into the strength training stuff, what's your big role uh, on the indoor side? So on the indoor side, we have, um, for our weight room, we have specific weight coaches that kind of like set goals and walk them through weights and stuff. But one thing we've done differently that I've noticed is we started doing for the ERGs, at least we track their heart rates. Mm. And so it just like has their weight, their height and all that stuff and heart rates. And so 
I like to take my time. I haven't even told my athletes this, but I like to do weight adjusted scores. I keep a sheet of weight adjusted scores. I've always done that just to keep an eye on it. And it's like an additional piece of information I like to have um, mm-hmm. when looking at their scores. Did you get the chance to, or do you ever want to work out with the team in that way? Erging? No, <laughs> not erging. I, I don't like erging at all, but occasionally, you know, there's always like, oh, let's throw the coxswains on the erg for 200 meters and see what they can do. Right. Um, <laughs> and that I don't mind, but um, erg workouts, ideally no, but if I'm getting on to just like walk through tech sometimes, that's fine. Um but I prefer, I'm more of a cardio person for sure. More of a, I'll go outside and run a little bit. Um, but I do love um, weightlifting a little bit with the weights. That's nice too. Follow Steady State Network on Facebook and Instagram at Steady State Network. Listen to more episodes about everything from indoor rowing to rowing across oceans. Search the podcast archive at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast dash topics or listen on your favorite podcast app we're interested in your story if you've got something to share or want to nominate someone to appear on the show drop us a note at submissions at steadystatenetwork.com hey tara should we talk about how we first found corinne to begin with a couple of years ago Yeah, absolutely. And just a little bit of background for everybody that uh, back in 2020, in the midst of Black Lives Matter demonstrations, uh, U.S. Rowing finally began to really engage with its members about DEI and they formed a DEI committee. We know that now they actually have DEI staff. We had Jess Jackson uh, on our podcast. I don't know if you've met Jess Jackson yet, but at the time, you know, the conversations were still pretty limited. We saw Rowing in Color come out in 2020. Um, I mean, they already had eight episodes in the can even before uh, the pandemic hit. Uh, so they were well on their way. Uh, but then you decided to what we like to say, create your own lane uh, in November of that year of 2020. And you posed your first message as the Black Coxon on Instagram. And we were wondering if you would actually read that for us, what you posted on that first post. Said, hi, my name is Corinne. I'm here to inspire more people of color to row and share my experience as a Black athlete in the rowing community. We can too. Join me in this adventure and share your experiences too. And wow, it absolutely blew up. We have had such a blast uh, watching that account and you've got thousands of people engaging with the account. And so what's it been like in the last couple of years just to see that grow and see that community grow and curate all that content? Honestly, it's been surreal. It's like starting from like the ground up is such a hard thing to do. And it's very scary at first. There was a lot of like internal debates, like, you know, it's okay. Like what controversies is going to cause? Like, how are my teammates going to think of me? How are people going to think of me? And then you remind yourself like, like internal values. I was like, oh, well, this is important to me, regardless of how people look at me, regardless of how people feel like it's important to me. And it was nice to see that that same value is held by other people. And I think that's how the community grew because other people shared that same importance and that same concern or that same, you know, desire to want a community of people to share experiences and to relate to them in ways that um, maybe their teammates couldn't. Yeah. And I think a huge piece of it was visibility (laughs) and not only from uh, the BPOC community, but from uh, Rachel and I's world, which is a very like, you know, cis, white, gender, it's very typical uh, kind of what people see as a typical experience. But in fact, we were like uh, just seeing these absolutely beautiful posts about these very successful athletes all over the country. And you really, you really curated like an amazing (laughs) amount of content and, you know, some of the people that you've met along the way, do you have any ones that stand out that really were a great experience? Like you posted it and then something really incredible came out of it? Yes. So a lot of athletes I've noticed that I've posted have reached out to me and they've said, oh, like certain coaches have reached out to them, which is also why I love posting um, high school athletes, just because I know I have a large coach following and I know I have a lot of teams that follow that account. And I had a lot of help with my recruiting process, but I think having a platform like this, I know some people don't have the same access to teams who know how to walk them through that recruiting process. So being able to share them and just put them out there for other people to connect to them is good. I've obviously for rowing in color. um, I like they Patricia and Denise have 
changed a lot for me. There were some people that like we collaborate on posts and we would post together and they reach out to me and just like they have been helping me along the way for a really long time. Um, so a lot of a lot of love for them. And then another coach that I met um, kind of through my page and through my home team, I haven't posted him yet, but um, Coach Sky Elliott, he coaches at uh, CRI, just like a coxswain. Um, he's black. And so it was just like, it was just a really great experience to talk to him and walk me through coxing and get that like advice and just like have, he's just such a high level performer for the coxing world he's accomplished a lot. And now he's like a head coach for a team. It's just like being able to talk to people at such high levels is so important to me because I think it goes further than just seeing, you know, athletes of color, athletes successful and like high performing athletes of color, like having that as a goal. It's just such an amazing thing to me and so important. Yeah. The network that you've been able to pull together has just really kind of blown my mind. I I think it's amazing um, for someone as young as you to be stepping into that role. Like you said, you didn't know what was going to happen when you first started. And I thought, like when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is, this is nice. Like, this is nice. Like, this is an awesome way to start creating a community, but really what's coming out of it, like you're saying, like you're helping people not just connect within a community, but you're helping rowers connect with coaches, coaches connect with rowers and coxswains. And like, you have totally stepped up to the challenge and done some pretty awesome things. And like back in, I think, February 2020, you did a uh, live with Arshi Cooper. Like yeah. how freaking amazing was that? <laughs> it's awesome. Arshi has been a great help too. That's like one of those people that, oh my gosh, she's always looking out for me, always checking in. Like, And that's why it's so important. Again, just like I love having this network of people and reaching out to other athletes through him or him reaching out through me to other athletes. It's just like this network of people. I love meeting people who are like, oh, you know, Arshay. I'm like, yeah, I know Arshay. And, or, you know, this person. And I just, it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. And you, I'm really glad that like you have learned that so early on that you can just, just ask, just ask questions, just approach people that you want to know everybody will say yes. Everybody's going to talk to you. People want to talk about rowing. And that's just, you know, a lot of people don't figure that out. Just do it. (laughs) Just do it. I want to kind of talk more about like my high school uh, team, because I really do have a lot of like love for the coaches there, Mm. specifically my Cox and coach, um, August Felso. I learned so much through him. And I think a lot of like my confidence comes from that. Even here in college, like when I'd feel shaky about certain things, I'd email him like, hey, coach, like, you know, this is how I'm feeling. And I remember one thing he told me that stuck with me that I thought was really funny is like, you don't need everyone to like you. If you wanted everyone to like you, you'd be like an ice cream truck worker or something like an ice cream man. And it was so funny to me because it was like, it's true. Like, there's just so many things and it goes into all aspects of my life aside from Cox. And like, if something's important to me and I want to say it, like, I need to be able to express that and not think in my head, oh my God, how are they going to think of me? Like, I'm not trying to make everybody like me. I'm more mission-minded and I have a goal that I want to reach and I want to achieve. But once you have, if you have a good influence of people around you, it's very easy to do successful things. And I want to be a good influence for others. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about mentors and mentorship. Besides Arshay, are there other mentors that have come into your life in the last couple of years? So the last couple of years, I think through the last little bit of my um, coxing in high school, my head coach, Sarah Lowe, amazing. She's always been there. She's always pushed me very far. And then coach Lauren Schmeeding, those two coaches have pushed me like no other. And I could not be more grateful. I think a lot of like my, the level of coxing I have would not be where it's at without that like really strong push. And then also like a sense of looking out, like making sure that I'm on top of stuff. Um, and then, like I said, Arshay Cooper, great mentor. Uh, I would consider Patricia and Denise to be mentors for me as well. Um, and like I said, my Cox and coach August Felso, a great mentor. And then honestly, the coach, my head coach here, I could not be more grateful for coach Paul Bugenhagen. He is one of the main reasons I came to the school. Amazing, amazing coach. And just like really thoughtful and genuine and really values like relationship. I think it's important to have a good Cox and coach relationship, but he's also like making sure I have a good rower Cox and relationship. And just like, I just, I'm very grateful for all the mentors in my life, but especially my coach. You know, when we first met you, uh, we connected you to Coral Kaz, mm-hmm. yes. right? Because you had said that 
that that was someone you would want to meet. I would imagine that after today's podcast, you're going to be the one that people are going to want to meet. So hopefully (laughs) you'll be ready to step into that. Like you're just taking on such a leadership role at Hobart. And I I think what's really, what I really enjoy talking to you about is the fact that you've been handed a lot of really great opportunities. You've said yes to a lot of great opportunities. And it really feels like it's genuinely like sunk in with you, the importance of great coaches up here, great mentors, and then how you can then be the conduit um, down uh, to the new folks. Because we'll always be churning up uh, new rowers and Mm -hmm. coming into the community. Is there any big plans this summer for you? This summer, I've got like a couple things that I'm thinking about, but no, no plans that I've set on. I've, like you said, I like to say yes to a lot of opportunities, but with so many opportunities, because it's summer, it's so much time. I have not decided how I'm going to spend summer this year. Maybe go back to another camp or. Yeah. Another camp or I may try coaching. Um, I don't know yet. I, I have one last question for you. I wonder if you could describe the perfect stroke. Okay. The perfect stroke. To me, the perfect stroke starts and kind of ends with just like a good rhythm and a consistent rhythm. I think rhythm is so, so, so important, especially a stroke seat, just being predictable and consistent starts there. And I just think it's all about the finish and the finish timing. You have to finish together, but you also have to feel it. Like I like to give my rower silence sometimes because you have to feel it and you have to hear it. Just like a good, firm, almost finish. And then that ratio into the catch and then back into the finish. What we're doing now is a lot of metronome rowing. I think I, I love it because I'm a music kid. And so metronome, like, that's what I think of when I think rhythm, like a consistent, good, strong rhythm. Do you actually have like a metronome or metronome app on your phone that you're using or? Oh yeah. No, our coach will play the metronome on the speaker and it's just like the the metronome going. Oh, that's fantastic. That is pretty smart. That is so smart. I would recommend it for anybody that hasn't tried. Hopefully my coach doesn't get mad at me for sharing, but I think it's like one of the best things I, cause it was the first time I've seen something like, or seen it like that. It's one of my favorite things we do now. Just listen to the metronome and you go with the rhythm of it. Yeah. Yeah, Cause you're your body like absorbs the memory of that. And I, I've done it with a beeping with learn to row students just to be like yeah. switch into their auditory <laughs> learning. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. I love that idea because I just have, I'm having like flashbacks, terrible flashbacks of coxswains trying to count out ratio, oh, right. And then like, yeah. it's never consistent and nobody's like, people are catching on the F on four and it's just like uh, <laughs> terrible. So right. uh, that metronome, I love that idea. Hey, thanks for that. Thanks for that. <laughs> of course, you got to try it out. <laughs> yeah. I think I had one other question. I mean, it's kind of out of the blue and not really connected to uh, to anything we're talking about in the last few minutes. But I guess I was thinking about like looking back at races that you've done or mm-hmm. practices that you've led. Can you think of one instance where you got off the water and you're like that was good like I was a good coxswain I felt really good about this and can you put your finger on like what went right that day okay one of my best practices I would say was when two three years ago now um when I was at um ODPHP um it was the day that my coach here was there because they had coaches from a bunch of colleges coming to watch us. And I remember the pressure was definitely very high and I was so nervous going into it. But I think what made my coxing well is just like, just like very, very active awareness of every little thing going on. It felt like there was not a thing missed. It's like, okay, you know, like I'm I'm launching off the dock and I'm making sure first, you know, like I'm getting hands on, making sure I'm the first to launch. I'm on the dock for 30 seconds or left, right? We're launched. I'm on the correct side of the water, leaving enough room for the launch, like making sure not to talk over the coach, but keep the practice going, asking all the appropriate questions, like the communication coach to coxswain, communication to the rowers and like being able to pinpoint which rower was doing what. Because at the time I'd already like, 
I knew I wanted that one so I'd make sure I was in the launch to watch them in the pairs. So I was like, I had all the notes like already in my head. So it just felt like everything was like going almost the way that I wanted to. But I think, I mean, obviously I was manipulating it in a way, manipulating it in a way so that it would, but like just making sure I was calling out the right things and like communicating with the coaches, communicating with the rowers, but like maneuvering this body of water that I've been on for only like two and a half weeks and just like steering in the best way possible and then getting back onto the dock and, you know, like that feeling, oh, it's amazing. Like, like rowers give you little fist bumps. You're like, yes, like I did it. (laughs) And like just getting the boat up as quick as possible efficiently. And then just, uh, it's, I think just being super like hyper aware of like, I don't like describe it as a checklist because I don't want to get too like checklisty, but like it kind of is like uh, there's certain things at certain points you need to hit. And it felt like that day I was like, wow, I really didn't miss a beat here. I love how you just described all of that because I don't know how much people really understand how much goes into it. And there is a checklist. You're working your way from the moment you get hands on the moment you are hands off boats on the racks, like your brain is working and you've got to make sure that you're saying the right things in the right order and thinking about everybody, you're thinking about the psychology of the rowers. You're thinking about your relationship with the coaches. I'd love listening to you talking about that because like you guys are excited about it too. (laughs) It's a great feeling. Like I'm like feeling it. (laughs) Yeah. And, And from a rower's perspective, we can tell when you're having a good day, we can tell when you're like dialed in and on. And from a rower's perspective, you know, we need to just hand off so much to you as a coxswain and just execute, right? And it's just such a nice feeling when you have a confident coxswain who's in their lane, in their zone, they're not making apologies, they're not using question marks at the end of their commands, they are just like dialed in and they genuinely like care about you and they genuinely want you to have a good race. And I think that to me is, is a fantastic coxswain experience. Like I would be fist bumping that coxswain all day long. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking some time out of your of morning. We know that you're a busy collegiate athlete and thank you for squeezing us back in. It's awesome to catch up with you. Can't wait to see how your season goes and we'll be following along on um, Instagram. Yeah, thank you so much, Corinne. It's great to see you again. Yes, thank you guys so much. I was so excited to catch up and just bring it right back to square one. I love it. Thank you so much. To see photos of Corinne Wiggins and get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Hey, Rachel, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Oh, I know. We should definitely tell them about Friday mornings when we get together for coffee chat. We talk about rowing and racing and technique, and then we deep dive into things like inclusion and leadership. Yeah, you're invited to join us Friday mornings at 8 a.m. West, 11 a.m. East, live on Instagram. Grab your favorite mug and be part of the conversation. And sometimes we all need buddies to help get us through those long workouts on the ERG. So we lead Steady State Sundays once a month at 6.45 a.m. West, 9.45 a.m. East. When you sign up for this free 60-minute virtual ERG workout, we provide cues and insights to keep you motivated along the way. Register at steadystatenetwork.com slash steadystatesunday. Catch new episodes of Steady State Podcast every other Sunday. Coming up on the next episode, we talk with Donna Pilly, a San Diego native whose first memory of rowing is watching the televised 1984 Olympics in LA and thinking, I want to do that. But as the daughter of immigrant Filipino parents, Donna didn't have time for sports growing up. Nearly 30 years later, she made herself a New Year's Day promise to learn to row. Since then, Donna's found community at Slack and San Diego Rowing Club and has traveled the world as a member of Endeavor Racing Alliance. We talk with her about balancing nightlife with morning practices, staying humble enough to row with novices, and raising the bar for masters. Steady State Podcast is brought to you by me, Tara Morgan. And me, Rachel Friedman. Between us, we have nearly 40 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience, and we run successful rowing-related enterprises. Tara is the founder of Seize the Oar Foundation, which champions inclusion in the sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership. And Rachel is the founder of RowSource, designing unique rowing gear for individuals, clubs, and events. 
You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Seize the Ore and Rowsource. Steady State Podcast is a production of Steady State Network. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Tara and Rachel. Rachel also manages our website and social media. Our theme music is by Jonas Hipper. We met her as part of the Black Coxon. We really admire the work that she's done. She's really opened our eyes. And, and here's all these secondary benefits to it. Yeah. Like she's having a really cool collegiate rowing experience that will be really relatable to a lot of people, parents who are our listeners. They're so prepared. Like every question we asked her, like we hadn't asked her any of those questions ahead of time. She just like she had an answer, like she yeah. had an answer, like, yeah. Something I was definitely thinking about while we were talking with her was, you know, she she has created this environment on Instagram where, she, well, it's really not about her, but she definitely, there's curation happening, right? And that she now is in this leadership role. Um, it got me thinking a little bit about this post I saw from... Um, Aisha Rafai the other day, she was really honest. She posted all these photos and she was like, I don't like the way that I look in any of these, but I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm, I need to have a face on social media. And um, like, I think we're all affected by that. In all honesty, like we're all affected by that. I think about that all the time because you and I are putting our faces out there and I'm like, Ugh, I look like shit today, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all the time, but like no one else knows any different. We're, I was thinking about this while we were arguing this morning. We are constantly comparing our, the way we look to how we think we used to look or how we <laughs> think we should look, right? Yeah. But yeah. no one else knows any different. Right. They don't right. care. Yeah. You know, they're not looking at you and making some sort of judgment. Does she feel pressure? I think, I mean, the way that she answered our questions made it sound like she's just like, it's been an awesome opportunity for her um, with all these amazing people that she's met. Yeah. And she's taking it and running with it. You know, she's not, she's very grateful and very, has a lot of gratitude for what she's been uh, given and who's been giving her advice. In two, way enough. That's one, two, way enough. <laughs>